So uh, we're going to hang out in Psalm, the first chapter today, and talk about obsessions, which is a pretty good thing to talk about and um, process over the next four weeks. I like the definition of obsession. Bye, kids. I think before I jump in that, David, yes. Carson, yes. you guys are awesome. Thank you for leading us in worship today. I am... Um, for the uh, guests in the room, um, Ryan and Lauren just sent me a picture with my wife and a kid, she's no longer a kid, that I dearly love named Lacey. And so Ryan and Lauren are at Passion, worshiping and throwing down, and uh, asked David and Carson to lead. And I, I love you guys. This is, by the way, for those of you that don't know, this is a father-son worship combo. How cool is this as a dad to lead worship with your son? I'm kind of obsessed with that idea. And so... Um, Thanks. Do y'all want to sing together or anything, or are we, are we good? Okay, go ahead. So uh, I love the definition, to have the mind preoccupied with a persistent desire, to say, God, we're obsessed with you, and we, we, as a church over the next four weeks, here's what I really want to do if I could. I would just pull up a stool, and I can, so I might. I just want to pull up a stool and say, we're family. Let's talk about this. I mean, we say that we're about some things. Can we make sure that that's true of us? And so really, um, not really this week, but beginning next week, I want to um, to pour out some scriptures over us and wash us in the reality of who we say we are as followers of Jesus and then begin to just ask questions. So if that's true, what about? If this is going on, what's happening with us? And And allow us just to wrestle with this idea of, God, we're obsessed. We're obsessed with Christ. And that's where, that's as far as I want to go today. That the obsession of our soul is the Word of God made clear to us. And that it's a persistent desire. It preoccupies our mind. We are, in fact, if you could describe us, you would say, hey, that group that hangs around Mandarin together, they're excessively preoccupied in heart and soul and mind and strength with Jesus. They annoy me. They're so preoccupied with Him. I mean, their lives are demonstrating the obsession of their soul, which is Christ. There is a lyric from, I first heard it, Passion 15 years ago, and it said these words, Father, give me one magnificent obsession. And that's what I would pray for us as a church, that we would be a place that's known for one magnificent obsession, and then finish the song, finish this way, to know you, Lord, and to follow hard after you. To get after your heart, to be passionate for who you are. And so I'm praying that for our church as we kick off in January and we start a new year, that we just kind of look at one another and say, we're excessively obsessed with Jesus. And we think that over the next three or four weeks, this, this is what happens as a byproduct. Like we are, we are, as Acts 4 described the church, one in heart and mind about these issues. We're one in heart and mind about who we are as followers of Jesus. Would that not be absolutely extraordinary to say these words? You know what? We're going to love people and believing that every person we lock eyes with has the capacity through Christ to experience transformational life. And so therefore, we're going to go. We're going to go and we're going to go and we're going to go. The point is not that we're sitting in this room. This is a purpose of us gathering to explode with our hearts given for the fame of God. But then we're going to walk back out as reconciling ministers for the sake of Christ, perpetuating a message for the for the gospel glory of Jesus Christ, and we're in Jesus. In fact, you might call us excessively thoughtful about this. 
We're exceedingly passionate for this truth. And God, every single person we lock eyes with, your desire is to transform them and conform them into the image of Jesus Christ. It's, I mean, it's not, it's not a leap to go, to go far to say, God, look, I see obsessions around me all the time. And so here's the three things that I'm going to say by the time we finish today. And you can just hang in there and take notes as you see fit, but it will be crystal clear by the end. I am praying that we as a church will be purposed in heart. That will just drive us. I'm praying as a church that in that purpose in heart will be purity in our actions. And I'm praying that out of the purity in action, the purpose of heart, it will flow out of this, that we have been determined in our reliance on Jesus Christ. I mean, that is something that is absolutely the desire of our soul. And then in that, we're one in heart and mind. Purpose in heart, passion in action, and determined in reliance on Jesus Christ. Let's kind of talk about that for a little while. I've, I walk around. I don't have to look far for obsessions. We could run in any area you want. But the most recent Star Wars gave us an extraordinary picture as an early Christmas gift the week before releasing an obsession. And I, um, I love this. There's a video, and I couldn't find it. I thought I might even show it today. But there was a video that um, came out that I showed probably 10 or 12 years ago in church, and it went something like this. So-and-so loves this. I love so-and-so. Therefore... I love this. And uh, my wife dressed up as Princess Leia for like 19 Halloweens in a row. She's a fan. She's so, Susan loves Star Wars. I have never seen it. I haven't even seen number four, which is number one if you're a fan. If you're not a fan, if you're a fan, you know that already. If you're not, number four is number one. Anyway... And so, um, I love Susan, and so, I, I mean, it's been crazy. I was, I was down at the arena watching, um, The Grinch That Stole Christmas. Oddly enough, while I'm watching The Grinch That Stole Christmas, a full warfare breaks out with, um, Star Wars people will have to help me, the guys wearing the all-white gear. They come marching through during a Broadway production. I have no idea why. And they're, they've got lightsabers out and they go into a full-on battle. And then I do know this name, um, Darth Vader steps into the middle of the throw and it just, it's on. I mean, there's, there's obsessions. I, so, um, my gift to my wife about five years ago was to give her all six of the Star Wars and that has been the term, determined desire of our soul over the holiday. And I am beginning to feel that the force is with me. I'm only on number five, so I'm slow going right now, but I'm beginning to feel that. And I, but what was great, and the obsessions, I'll, I'll tell you what my obsession's been in just a second, but we put this on, my nephew is eight years old. And my nephew, as soon as we put it on, my wife's day was made because he began to dance around the room. No preacher exaggeration going on here. And here's the words that came out of his mouth. I am the president of the Star Wars fan club at my school. How cool is that? And you're talking about an epic failure on our part because I'm sitting in a room with Matthew. He and Susan are like in each other's arms over this. We're watching this. He is a walking spoiler. I hated watching it with him. He's like, you know what that just happened? Well, you know what happens in the epilogue series? And he tells me all about it. I'm going, I haven't watched it. Shut up. <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 for some of you, it's an obsession. For others of you, you're like me. You're not there. May the force be with you. You know, I, I'm a complete Lord of the Rings nerd. That's where I go on that. But the whole time this was going on, since it's been the 70s, there's been another parallel, powerful, and deeply meaningful series entitled Rocky. 
And that's where my mind's been. In fact, I wanted to bring this in and just talk about obsession for a moment. For me, Rocky um, involves moments like drinking raw eggs. Anybody else do that? Um, getting up and working out. You know, you minute it's over. You're, uh, yeah, so obsessions. I tried boxing one time after watching it. My neighbor and I had a little ring. He hit me in the nose. I'm done. I mean, you have your boxing. It's painful, and I was out on that. But I, I, there was a particular scene I saw that, that I wondered as we talk about obsessions, how do you unpack this? It was the image is coming up on the screen. I was going to show you the video, but I like to tell the story. It's even more fun. It's Rocky too. And he's kind of laid down his battle to fight because Adrian, yo, Adrian, thank you so much for those that are with me. Adrian has, you know, had premature, I won't go into the whole details of the story, but he has quit fighting. It's a traumatic moment for us Rocky fans because we didn't know there was going to be three, four, five, six, and 19. You know, we didn't know that was coming. And so we're just, I'm sitting watching, he's giving up boxing. It's an extraordinarily dramatic moment. She's had premature labor. She's laying in the middle of the hospital bed. She wakes up, and you see this image on the screen, and she talks to him, and he says, you know, Adrian, I'm not going to fight anymore. I don't know what I'm going to do. What do I do, Adrian? What do I do? And she looks over at him, and if you know this, you know what's about to come out. She looks over at him, and she whispers a single word. Does anyone know what that word is? Yeah, but they said she. And it's super tense in that moment. He like sits back and he says, you know, I don't know what to do with this, Adrian. What did you say, Adrian? And she says, she says the singular word a second time. Rock, I want you to. Thank you. And in that moment, Mick said, Mick said, Rock, what are we waiting for? And the music starts and it's on. I'm, I'm exceedingly obsessed with portions of these movies. And so... um, I wonder as we wrestle with this, you know, I sit and watch this and I say, God, what does it look like for me to hear someone whisper, if you will, not to get too much with Rocky here, but to get more with the Holy Spirit, who speaks to me in gentle whispers and speaks to me often in carving up my soul for his glory. I look at him and say, okay, God, I want to engage 2016 and I want to win. What does that mean? And I think he answered it in Psalm 27, 4. He looks at us and says, this idea of magnificent obsession, it is an idea that is wrought throughout Scripture and in no kidding turns the world upside down. In the 27th chapter of Psalms, verse 4, it says these words. David says, I have been exceedingly about winning. I've asked one thing of God and I've heard the whisper of when and this is what it looks like to be obsessed for me. This is what I desire. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. When? I want to sit in the presence of God and I want to have excessive obsession of my mind, my heart and soul for the things of God. And I want to dwell in His house all the days. And if I can dwell in this house, this is what I'll do. I will gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And I will seek Him in the place of worship. And I will come unencumbered and I will worship God for who He is. That's what it means to be obsessed. I could run over to Philippians 3 and then begin to read Paul, which we've read many times where he says, there's a, there's a passion in the heart of folks throughout Scripture to be about one thing. I'm not inviting you obsessed people to walk in the room and say, there's 37 things that I want to kind of improve my life about. Here's what I would suggest. If we're going to win as believers, it will be this. Lord, one thing I ask of you. 
Every other that spawns out will be your power and your presence in me. But this one thing through 2016, if I could gaze upon your beauty, if I could park my life in your sanctuary, if I could see you for who you are, if I could pursue you with all of my soul, then I believe that the temple of your spirit and presence would roll out of me in spirit and in power like unprecedented in my life. That's what it looks like for us to just kind of come into 2016. In fact, I'm, I'm going to ruin a sermon illustration in a minute. Why don't we scrap every other thing and just say, here's what I resolve. Jesus. It's just kind of written large across my life. If you could script my life, I will have a chest imprint as my heart beats at the end of 2016 that will beat with Jesus. With Jesus. This is what I want to be about. And so I keep asking that. That's great, Mark. Sounds good. So what do I do in this? How am I preoccupied with a singular desire? And the first chapter of the book of Psalm kind of throws that out for us and he begins to unpack some things that we should be about. And I've kind of mentioned those things. The psalmist is painting a word picture for them. He is kind of, he is speaking into people's lives and saying, here is a picture of one who is obsessed, preoccupied with a singular desire. And oh, by the way, here is a secondary picture of one who has a poor, extraordinarily A life filled with mediocrity. In a life that is frozen and not moving forward. I love the word pictures or images that he gives in Psalm 1, 1 and 2. He says, how happy, how blessed is the man who does not follow the advice of the wicked. Who doesn't take the path of sinners. Who doesn't stand in the midst of mockers. There's so much in this moment. How happy is that? What you've got to see is what he is painting out here, that there is a, these are actions, these are verbs, these are things that we're to be about. And he talks about walking and standing and sitting. I like the word squatting. I am a, I am squatting my life away. That's who I am. I am in the middle of sin. When you follow the counsel of the wicked, you stop walking. It's kind of what he's saying here. When you lose the obsession of your soul, you fail to move forward. When you take the path of sinners, not only are you no longer moving, but you are squatting, you are frozen, and you are immobile. And if you are in this moment, in this worship, sitting in the midst of either personal sin or shame, or you are in the midst of a group of people who are compromising and failing in obsession, if that is not who we are as a church, we are either standing still or worse yet, squatting and indifferent for the things of God. And that is not a possibility for an obsessed people for the sake of the glory of God. And he comes and says, this honestly is not possible because when you follow the counsel, you're not walking. When you squat, you are frozen, you are stuck, you are immobile. And yet, this is how Scripture describes us as a church. You and I were intended to run the race that was set before us. We are intended to, Isaiah says, to walk and not grow weary. And better yet, we are to run and not be faint. We are made to run the race. We are made to finish the course. We are made to buffet our body. We are made to pound our souls. We are made for the sake of the glory of God. We're made to finish the course. And we are made to never stop until we finish. We are made to complete and to stand with the Lord and say words like this. I have finished everything that you had for me. 
I would love as we close 2016 as an obsessed people with Jesus pounding in our chest to be able to sit in here on December 31st and say, it's an incredible new year. And oh God, I was so obsessed with you that every single thing you had for me has been done. God, you called me to be about things. God, I am obsessed. Our bodies are, because Timothy says, you are to train yourselves in righteousness. Squatting, standing, frozen, stuck. That doesn't describe a believer. Are you kidding me? The scripture keeps on saying, we are running such a way as to get the prize. It says this, there are many who run the race and they're obsessed. This is 1 Corinthians 9. There are so many who run the race around you and they're obsessed. And he says this, They're running for a temporal prize. They're running for something that doesn't count on this earth. How much more should you and I be obsessed for a crown that will be placed upon us by the living Christ Himself and we will carry that crown for eternity and longing for these words, well done. This is the description of the church and so I don't fully understand how someone finds themselves walking standing and squatting. And if you find yourself there, there is an extraordinary moment today of resolution and passion of your soul. To say, God, I want to understand how do I move out of that? And he says this, instead of doing that, you should delight in the Lord's Word. No great sermonic coming behind that. Rather than squatting, frozen, and futile, you should delight in Jesus. You should delight in the Word that has become flesh and dwells among us. You should delight in the Scripture. You should find yourself hungry for this. You should meditate on this day and night. And he says, here's the outcomes when that happens. You're like a tree planted beside streams of water. It bears fruit in season in and out. And his leaf never withers. Whatever you do, it prospers. He looks and says, that person, if you're standing in this, if you're sitting right now in the midst of futility and stuck, find delight in Christ because the circumstances of this world will move and sway and there is a delight that will never fail and that is Jesus Christ. Find your soul there. Find your hope there. Find that you begin to stand up there in the middle of that and become obsessed fixated with this. He says, this fruitful tree, it's not unintentionally planted. It has been purposely planted by someone besides streams of water so that when storms come, its roots run deep and there is a plethora of nutrient for the soul of the tree. May that be true of us. Perhaps we're squatting because we have fully and completely failed to be obsessive about the things that are eternal. Perhaps we are living in futility because we have extraordinarily failed to root ourselves in the things that are eternal. And we are still parked in this room thinking that something or someone or some deal is going to bring us completeness. And it is true, the deal is Jesus. We are meditating on His Word. He says this is what God is doing for those. The land may be dry and arid, The air may be hot and humid. There may be challenges that come this way, but you are nourished day in and day out. And the food of your soul is Christ. On the other hand, he says this, the wicked are not like this. They're like the chaff. They're in the hand. The mild wind blows. There are no roots there. They're squatting and they are blown away. If you are consistently blown away by the circumstances of this world, I would invite you to discern verse 2, your roots. 
If you are consistently asking and hoping for something or someone on this planet, I would invite you back to this. Instead, you should sit in the counsel of the living God and root your life deeply in who He is. There will be stability there. There will be a surety there. And I, I, I have, I have seen this for the last month of my life first sitting with Mrs. Royal as she looked at me the day she came home and actually woke up from the hospital and began to talk about a surety of her hope and a passion for the kingdom of Christ, all the while teasing Mr. David. And that home over the last month has been a home that has not lacked tears, but has had deep roots in the reality of a river that never runs dry. I sat with Mr. David as he wept yesterday, not over the loss of his wife, but with a passionate heart for revival in this church. He's just weeping and talking about, God, I, I want you to move in spirit and in power in the midst of Mandarin. I'm like, Mr. David, are you doing okay with Miss Sue? Yes, I am, but I am praying. And I want people to beg God to move in power. I love to stand with people who are in the midst of what would completely blow them away in this world in typical circumstances, but their lives are rooted beside the banks of deep and rich water. I'm going to invite you there. There's three things I said I would share with you, and now I'm going to share them quickly. And we'll call it a day. I think the three things that you come out of this with is this, are your purpose in heart. That's just, this, if we're going to be rooted in Christ, we're going to be purposeful about this. I love that um, description of Daniel. I think it's in the first chapter of the book of Daniel when it says that Daniel was purposed in heart and when he purposed in his heart to move forward with the kingdom of God, that wasn't random. That was, I am intentionally, strategically going to root myself here. And I would invite many of you to be purposed in heart as we begin this year. I'm not asking you to resolve to do some new things. I am asking you to purpose your heart toward the kingdom of Christ. That's radically different. Because what you're then saying is, God, the purpose of my heart is this, that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The purpose of heart is Colossians 1.27. God, I know that I am weak. I know I cannot pull off any resolution. But I know this, there is a hope of Christ in me. There is glory there. And I am purposing in my heart to get after Jesus. I am going to seek and pursue Him. A dissolving storyline goes away. Leanne sent it out, and I actually think this was placed in your ministry guide this week, but she sent our staff team something I just thought was a neat tool. I kind of wrecked the tool. You could just write on the back of this tool, Jesus. But Ann Voskamp sent out a great um, talk or a thought, and she just said, look, a story began to dissolve when I began to purpose in my heart to live for the things of Christ. I live in a lack of surety and a complete lack of stability until I begin to settle who I was in Christ. And when that began to settle, there was a surety about my life, not the circumstances, but who I was in Him. And I just am inviting you to purpose like Daniel, to say, God, this is what I want to be about. We This could come on the screen if it wants to. This is also in your ministry, God. This is just a tool. I, I, sat, I sat around with my family, um, and we opened up the things that we wrote out together, every one of us, uh, as the, at the first day of January of 2015, and on the first day of January 2016, we began to map out what we wanted to purpose in heart to do. And we began to say, God, we want to do these things. And it, you know what was so neat is we began to write out or we began to read together the things that were in our heart from a six-year-old who's now seven to a 20-year-old who was at that point 19 and recovering from dengue fever. We just had mapped out what we had prayed God would do. And it was remarkable to read of the faithfulness of God when there was purposefulness in our heart. 
I read, I like Dave Ramsey, and I read one of his tweets last night, and he said, look, I'm not asking you to have a good idea for what's going to go on in 2016 unless you write down what is marked, what is measurable, and the steps to fulfill it, then it is not a purpose of heart. And if we're going to purpose in this heart, I'm inviting you. I know it's January 3rd. You're all, we're already late in the game. I would invite you to begin to write out, God, if Jesus is stamped on my soul, these are the things that I want to see happen in 2016. And you should probably write them in a way that they can be measured and in details that will allow you to follow through. There's no randomness here. This isn't like a heartfelt message. This is a group of people who are wide-eyed and we're beginning to look at one another and say, we bring the message of Jesus. We can't be purposeless. We don't have... Somebody should have like amen in that moment. We have the heart of Jesus and we cannot walk this earth hoping that something neat happens in 2016. We're walking as a people of purpose for the sake of the glory. That purpose of heart, it shaped Daniel's diet. It shaped his friendships. It shaped his life. It shaped every single facet of who he was because he was purposed in heart to honor God. It shaped his purpose of importance. It shaped his passion for what he was about. And it shaped his willingness to die in the face of death so that we could read great stories about him. Because he purposed in his heart that he would be passionate for the things of God. If we're going to be about this, if we're going to say, God, we're purposed in heart, then this will be what happens, that we will become a people who are prayer. I think purposing to change is where prayer meets perseverance. I put this, um, we have three sentences that go with this. Here's one. I love this sentence. You might want to write it down. The obsessed are purpose for transformation. Purposing to transform into the image of Christ happens when prayer, Scripture, the disciplines, when those meet perseverance. I am inviting us to the disciplines of the water of the Word of God and His instruction. Secondly, and you can leave that sentence up so people can write it down. And secondly, this is a thought that we're going to be pure in our actions. I mean, I could just stay with Daniel. I love Daniel. I mean, I just said this. So I mean, just come back to it. I mean, this changed everything about him, his purpose and heart. He was so pure in his actions. I was reading in 2 Kings 22, if you want to read an extraordinary story, it was about the people of God who were gathered together and Hilkiah, the priest, was charged with this desire to clean out the place of the temple and to prepare it for readiness. Now, here's a powerful thought for the church of Jesus Christ. These are the chosen people set apart by God. Hilkiah is cleaning it out and he finds the Word of God. It's very plausible for us to gather together here and say we love the Bible except that much of our lives are not shaped toward that end. And he found the Scripture and began to elevate it and there's the response of the people and this is what absolutely blows up my soul and my prayer for the church this morning is that we will settle right here and ask the Holy Spirit to do circumcision of our heart in this moment. Because I love what happens. Hilkiah starts to read this. And long story short, they begin to become undone. We didn't know some stuff. This is from God. But 2 Kings 23, it gets exciting. So they gather together and they start to read the Word of God together. Powerful idea for the church. Like when they sit down together, they open up the Scriptures and they begin to read it over them. And there's like moaning and gnashing of teeth. We're not about that. That's not who we are. And and so the entirety of the 
23rd chapter of the second book of Kings is this. And he so he went out and he started tearing down Asherah poles. They went out and started reforging relationships. They went after God and began to meditate and plead for his presence. And over and over in every possible manner, they began to wrestle with God and say, you know us. This is the parts of our life that are not pleasing to you. We are a people purpose for your glory. And we're also a people, as we're just talking about, that are purified in our actions. We are reading stuff right now that we're not doing. And God, our hearts are shattered for this. And we are going to tear that down. And here's the reality for the church. And this is where I've been praying for us. There are significant things in our lives. And I don't have an agenda behind this. I just know me. And I think if if I know me, you're probably not that different than me. There are significant portions of Scripture that I nod at and go and do what I want. And I have been praying that God this year, every time that we open Scripture together, privately in our groups and corporately in this room, that our hearts will be seared. For, for action, for obedience. When we read about relationships and they are faltering among us, that we don't let that go by. When we read about holiness and that God has called us to action, that we're like Daniel, we're purposed in heart. There, there is no way standing before the living God that we could continue in the lifestyle we're in and love God. So we're tearing those poles down. For some of us, we're in dating relationships right now. It is just should be torn down and rebuilt for the kingdom of Christ. Some of us are in friendships and lifestyles that this morning, right now, as you hear my voice and read this scripture, your life should be rent before God. And you should be on your face saying, Oh God, I am sorrowful and no more. No more. As my wife says to our kids, immediate obedience is the only form. And I would say that's true as we read the Word of God, if we are to be an obsessed people of God, that the minute we read something that is antithetical to who we are, we're immediately broken and obedient, repenting and drawing our lives back to the sovereign glory of Jesus Christ. And I have no doubt, as I have prayed over this portion of the message, that there is ample opportunity in this room this morning for that. That there should be brokenness across this room right now. Saying, holy God, I long to be pure in my actions and I am coming to you, begging you for this. The obsessed, this is the second sentence I wrote down, know their weakness apart from the truths of Scripture and the magnitude of Jesus Christ. We know that apart from Him, we're nothing. We desire extravagant light for our path. God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Teach us to walk in that way and respond with immediate obedience. I just end with this thought, and I'll shorten this one up significantly. We've got to be determined in our reliance on Jesus. I think I've been all over this. So just let me say this. You do nothing apart from him. You nothing. And if there's a message that's coming out, it's not to pinpoint you or your sin. It is to elevate Jesus, and he will resolve that for you. He has reconciled you to God and Himself. And now He is desiring purity of heart so that we can be the ministers of that reconciliation. Be determined in your reliance on Christ. I mean, literally, be on your face before God. I'm praying that we will eliminate every excuse for radical, love-motivated, 
Christ in passion living this year. That's my prayer for this church. And we're going to love people and love God and believe that transformation of life in Christ can happen. And we're going to go and move with that as our center. I was reading um, George Mueller, one of my favorite guys. I've read about him in so many different places. Um, never met him because he was born in 1805, it says here. And he was a college um, man when he became a follower of Jesus. And I think in light of a lot of our college students, that's pretty neat. Up until that time, he had lived a pretty rough life, gambling, excessive drinking, all that kind of stories. And he was radically and deeply transformed. If you've never heard of George Mueller, Mueller there's much talk about him in, in the study experiencing God and just his nature. But he finished school. He left England, went to be a pastor. He and his wife eventually settled in Bristol. They saw many orphans, and this was before. Um, Charles Dickens brought that to highlight. This was just their hearts being seared for God. They were uncared for, unfed, often sick. They're guaranteed to die at a young age, and he just began to stand in that gap. And uh, I love this. George and his wife decided, and this is where I think it's neat, an utter, complete life of reliance. Hear this. This is not the way God may call you to rely on him, but he is calling you to rely on him. This is the way he spoke to George. He said, uh, we're going to start this, and we're never going to ask for support. We're just in. When they had needs, they would go to God, trusting that he would give them everything they needed. People were incredulous. The Mueller's purpose in starting the orphanage was twofold, and this is where I think is a great ending. The first was to help orphans, obvious, serve the world. The second was to show people what it looked like to trust God with everything. I wonder if in this room, throughout this year, we could show this city what it looks like to trust God with everything. Say, God, we're we're in this. When the first house orphan house opened, his wife Mary prayed everything they needed, they had. According to his meticulous records, somebody will have to translate this for me, God had provided what they asked for. By the time he died in 1898, over 10,000 orphans had been cared for in their five orphanages they had built. During his lifetime, this is your translation, a million and a half pounds went through his hands in form of donations. Every cent, he died in poverty. Every cent given for the kids. And this is what a British paper wrote of George and his wife. He robbed the streets of thousands of victims. He robbed the jails of thousands of felons. He robbed the poorhouses of thousands of helpless waifs. And another newspaper said this, and every bit of it was accomplished in prayer alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. May we this year demonstrate for this city what it means to be fully reliant on Christ, obsessed, and may we, in doing so, teach them of what it means to serve this world. I think the last sentence just came up. We pray, we pray in persistent desires to trust God implicitly and to make Him known as we serve this world. Could that be true of us? Let's pray together. Jesus, right now, I just come back to the heart of worship and it's about you. And so, God, I pray before we begin talking about serving this world and fully reliant, that we would simply come back to an obsession for purity. God, I pray for the students in this room who are living a life that in one hand desires to see RSM explode, and on the other hand is compromising your name on a daily basis. God, I pray that you would draw those students to yourself 
and give them an obsessed heart for the sake of Jesus. Do that in repentance, Lord. God, I pray for the college students that you have sitting in this room that you have divinely placed on campuses for the sake of your glory. God, I pray that they would catch a picture of your name and your renown. And what that can mean on their campus as they walk fully, demonstrating what it means to rely on you with everything. God, life is too short and eternity too long to do any different. God, I pray for the, the working men and women in this room, the moms and dads. God, I have no doubt that there are many men in this room. As I've prayed, this has just been in my soul, that there are many men in this room who, in their private lives, are anything but obsessed followers of you. God, I pray that you would shatter computers, that you would shred hearts, and that you would draw us to yourself. God, I pray for the men of this room that you would give us as men one pure, holy passion, one magnificent obsession, Lord. A glorious ambition as men to lead this church and to lead our families for the sake of your gospel. So Holy Spirit, stir. God, I pray for the ladies of this room that they will not lose heart. To not lose heart in doing good. As the book of Peter tells us, to not lose heart in leading towards salvation. To God, shepherd their homes and to guide their children. God, I pray for men and women as they venture into work environments that we will serve this city. The first stepping into their environments is, is men and women who are utterly and completely reliant upon you. Oh, God, stir in this room. Draw us to be a people obsessed with you. We love you, Jesus. We worship you, Jesus. May our actions and our heart come together today. I just want to allow this to be holy ground for a few moments. We have an altar here for us to pray in. I love, I love Mr. David. I'm going to keep sharing David Royal's heart. Just the longing to see our altar filled with people seeking God's face. I'm praying that for 2016, that there will be a room that will be filled with obsessed people. 